Hey folks, we are Really Melanated, your two favorite horror aunties talking about the movies one of us is obsessed with, but we both enjoyed. I'm Ashley, always with the Canadian homie, Carolyn. Hey there. What are we watching tonight? What did we watch? I picked the film Kin, the 2018 film Kin. And it's kind of a sci-fi, crime caper, family drama hybrid. And I kind of loved this movie. It just kind of fell in love with it. I remember seeing um, a trailer out in the theaters in the before times. I don't know what movie I went to see. And I saw a trailer for Ken. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. There's like a young black kid. He's the main character. And it's sci-fi. I'm like, oh, my God, that's pretty cool. And then it disappeared. Um, and then I actually found it on, I think it was like Amazon Prime. Um, it might be on Netflix now too. So I, I watched it, was blown away, and I actually bought myself a copy. But I'm, anyway, let me tell you about a little bit about the synopsis. So um, Kin is a 2018 film, and it's directed by twin brothers Josh and Jonathan Baker. Um, they're actually Australian and they now live in LA and they have more of a career doing commercials and videos and that sort of thing. But um, they did a short film called Bagman in 2014. And then Kin was the feature length, length version of their short film. So here is the synopsis. Eli Selinsky is a black teen who is dealing with some troubles with his adoptive white family. His mother has passed away. His older brother, Jimmy, has just been released from prison, and his father, Harold, or Hal, is tough on Eli so he can steer him away from the wrong path. When Eli goes looking for copper pipes in abandoned warehouses for extra money, he stumbles upon the aftermath of a fight straight out of a video game with unusual weapons he just can't resist. He takes one of the guns and hides it from his father, who is dealing with Jimmy, worried he will reoffend. A tragic incident induced by Jimmy's debt to his vicious loan shark, Taylor, leaves him and Eli on the run, forcing them to bond over Eli's find and the danger it brings. So the film star stars Miles Truitt as Eli, Dennis Quaid as Harold or Hal, their father, Jack Rayner as Jimmy, Zoe Kravitz as Millie, James Franco as Taylor, and Michael B. Jordan as the cleaner, who's He's also the executive producer for this film. I also featured it in my Fantasia lecture in Afro, on Afrofuturism because it's done by white directors who uncentered themselves from the narrative and created like this sci-fi hero in this young black boy. So Ashley, what is your experience with this film? Yeah, I wanted to kind of piggyback off of that because it's like a bigger there's a bigger story inside of the story that it's telling. And that kind of comes in the third act. You kind of had this revelation and it's kind of like, so you understand this main character as part of a grander world, a grander uh, mission. Um, and I think that's what makes it, that's why, you know, white, these white directors kind of um, decentering themselves from it can, they, they can do that. If you're telling a story that is really focused on this particular character and his kind of emotional arc, as well as his um, arc destined in some other uh, sphere that we don't quite know what it is, but we, I, and me as a, as an audience member was kind of interested to see kind of a sequel or where this goes next. Even as this, as this would probably be fitting for a graphic novel even. 
or something like that. Cause I think it is a really cool story. I would like to know more about it. I, I think, so you told me about this movie initially, I maybe in passing it kind of seen um, stuff about it online because we all, we both pretty much read the same um, articles, especially when it is dealing with sci-fi horror and fantasy. And so kind of just in mostly we're seeing uh, stuff on our timeline that has to deal with uh, folks of color and black people, um, Latinx people and all those kind of folks um, who are like major players, more or less, not always, but so that's, so it was kind of like in my periphery, but you were the one because you, lean more towards sci-fi than I do and you know you encourage me to watch it so of course I'm like you know if I have some I, I'm always looking for new movies to watch because it's hard for me to just pick on my own so if someone's recommending something that I trust and, and appreciate then I'll watch and so I watched it and I remember just really being engaged the first time I watched it and really liking it for me I love I love Midwest settings like there's something about Detroit I love like I actually want to I've never Visit, visited Detroit actually want to I don't know if that's a good or bad thing um, for people who are from Detroit but I just I like blue collar I like working class I, that's where I grew up in Pennsylvania I grew up very working class in blue collar um, even though my mother had like a borderline white collar job um, that's because she just worked in IT but like you know but I just I like those kind of atmospheres I don't like filthy rich I don't like destitute I kind of like I don't know I'm kind of those kind of settings appeal to me because um those are people that I identify with more or less. I'm rambling, but that's <laughs> but that's kind of where my brain was going with this when I'm thinking about Ken. The first thing I noticed was Detroit and the scrap metal that he was um, picking up and the in the abandoned buildings. It was kind of like for me, I've also I've always liked the history of Detroit as well because it was like this bustling industrial um, industrialized um, city for a very long time, and then it went to ruin. Um, because the, those jobs were taken away and I think taken overseas, I believe. And so the town had kind of like, you know, lost that economic uh, luster for a really long time. And you kind of see the vestiges and the, the, the shadows of that um, in this film a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've been fascinated with Detroit as well. Just uh, I was doing some research research for something um, I was writing and the whole history of how, as you were saying, booming, it was just booming and then completely crashed. And there's all this beautiful architecture, all these empty buildings. I believe, um, I don't know, I think I was watching something like House Hunters or something and they were following a young couple in Detroit and they were basically trying to refurbish some of these gorgeous buildings downtown. And they were, you know, unfortunately creating condos, but at least these buildings got a second life. Because I, I know that there is kind of like a redevelopment happening there now. I don't know what's happening now since the pandemic, but um, they're trying to revive Detroit. And there's like, you know, an, a great history there. Um, so the fact that that film was based in Detroit, it was partially because of the writer, Daniel Casey. He grew up in Detroit. And um, there's a few scenes like, um, forget what it's called, but there was like an archway that Eli rides his bike through that particular area. It was just kind of, it's just kind of cool to see that the uh, writer put in some of his childhood into this film. So I think that's, you know, it's kind of, is, is pretty important. Yeah, I think I watched the same House Hunters or something similar. I remember it was this um, nice little blonde white lady and she was like, um, like, I think working with her sons and some other people, of course, to kind of refurbish old homes in Detroit. 
Um, and I was kind of seeing that she was pretty much, um, she's keeping the same kind of architecture, but she was just kind of like shining it off and kind of, um, also, um, repairing the, the damages and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, you know, cause you're right. Cause there's a lot of, um, abandoned spaces there and she was kind of just doing that kind of renew renewal for what I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, I did. I have been privy to topics of gentrification when it comes to Detroit as well. Mm. Actually, I have a fun fact for you. So the film is set in Detroit, but they actually filmed it in Toronto and um, the surrounding area. I know. <laughs> but I will say they did film some of it in a um, a city just outside of Toronto, like maybe, I don't know, like they're 30 minutes, 40 minutes outside of Toronto. It's called Hamilton. And that's kind of like our Detroit. So it was uh, booming with the steel industry. And then a lot of that industry went away and it basically, it's a steel town. It's steel town. And that's what they called it. And they call it the hammer um, kind of as an aside. And it has basically the same grittiness as Detroit. It's exactly, it's basically the Canadian Detroit in <laughs> Ontario. You know, a lot of productions get filmed here because there are tax breaks and that sort of thing. And we have a booming industry here in, in, in Toronto. But I think that they really did capture the feel of Detroit here uh, in Hamilton. So it's just kind of a little fun fact there for you. It's it's very gritty. It's very, um, it's it's got this um, kind of tiredness to it. Um, again, they're they're gentrifying Hamilton as well. I have a um, a close friend that lives there, and she keeps telling me the housing prices are going up, 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 because people are moving from Toronto to Hamilton because they can't afford Toronto anymore. Um, but that's just an aside. Yeah, yeah, I, that's the same issue with. I would pair this movie. I would pair Ken with another movie called Boo. I believe it came out in 2017. So because where Ken is sci-fi, this is a little bit more horror, but it has that same, what you just said, the tiredness to it, the somberness. Um, Boo also takes place in Detroit. I don't know if it was filmed there or not, but I do believe the writer-director is from the Detroit area as well. And so it has that same, again, you see those same kind of streets, row houses, the architecture in the house, the oldness of it, and all of that stuff to me, um, there's an aesthetic. It might be Midwest, it might be specifically Detroit, but there's an aesthetic in these films that really stands out uh, while they're telling these kind of supernatural stories or otherworldly tales, which I think is really, really neat, especially because I think it's, I, I think it's, I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like it's more... I don't know if the word is normalized, but you're seeing a lot more of these kind of uh, gritty spaces becoming these uh, breeding grounds for telling these fantastical stories that I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. And also because they all they commonly incorporate more more folks of color. Yeah, I think that's I was just as you were saying, that, I was just thinking that like it's a great backdrop for someone who is, you know, like Eli, he's adopted into a white family. He's not really you know, doing that well in school in terms of he's being suspended because he's fighting. He's not a bad kid. He's just, um, you know, grieving his mother. And it's kind of a great backdrop to someone who's trying to find his way as a young, you know, a teenage boy. And there's, it's kind of a harsh world. And that backdrop is really important, I, I think, for Eli, because he's not, you can tell just by 
the way he, you know, he moves through spaces, even at the beginning of the film. He's not a bad kid. He's a bit of a loner. He, you know, he, he's, he's just lost. Yeah, I think that comes from him. And I, I, I was going to save this, but I think, it, I think this comes from, again, him not knowing. This is, in a, in a way, a coming-of-age film as well. Like, I, like, yeah, definitely the grief. Griefful, especially with kids, I luckily didn't have to go through the really awkward phase of growing up and having to deal with extreme grief. So also that, but also not really knowing where he belongs i think he loves i think he loves his parents very much but they know he's no they're not his biological parents and so i think that has a lot to do with it i was thinking to myself um i don't know the origin story of the title of this film but i feel like is that an extension of like kinfolk of like you know i'm trying to figure out where you really come from or trying to like you know playing around with that um idea i don't know i was curious to see what you thought Yes, actually, it's a that's a very good point that you bring up because um I did buy the DVD and it's got the uh, commentary, and um it the basically the f- the name of the film refers to the end of the film, so I guess we'll get into it, but I don't want to be too spoilerish, but Eli figures out where he comes from at the end of the film. And they basically, the director, um, it was the two brothers and the writer, they were doing the commentary and they were saying that's where the name of the film comes from. But also, too, as you were mentioning, you know, he's trying to figure out where his roots are, you know, so that the name of that film is, is, I don't know, to me, it's important. I actually watched it with um, my boyfriend and we were kind of wondering because the film didn't do very well got 33 percent on rotten tomatoes um i think it opened on a bad weekend like i said i saw the trailer and then it disappeared and he was thinking it was partially the marketing and the name of the film because he said it was so vague so i i don't know if i i guess i agree with it a little bit because kin could mean anything right but to me it's a fairly strong title because when you look at the poster you know it's got this young boy and it's got all these players and to me it's really intriguing because it's just one word and that word means connection you know and then you want to connect all those dots so I guess I I, I personally like the title I don't have a problem with the title. I'm just thinking, well, yeah, like you, but I'm just also like, I can't get over this 33%. I'm just like, what? what I don't understand that. I get it. Not everyone's going to like everything, but this particular movie seems so straightforward and, but also has those layers and that, and that engagement that you're looking for when you watch this, when you're watching a visual story. So I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. That boggles my mind. I, I think that's a really unfair uh, score, but it's interesting because isn't there like a podcast now that's like kind of like going, doing like, um, like kind of going through all of these really low rated, unfairly low rated uh, Rotten Tomatoes films and kind of reviewing them. I think there's a podcast like that around now. Oh, that's, that's good actually, because yeah, there's no reason. The production is incredible. The special effects are really yes. great. Um, they did a lot of, um, you know, the scene in, in towards the ending where they freeze. Everybody's freezing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they built this um, see-through 
like those were actors actually holding that pose and they built these kind of scaffolding for the actors to kind of lean into so you know they did a lot of practical effects they did some they um used like a a, a laser company to do the cool laser effects that those the space people were using to to find uh, Eli and the gun. There's a lot of incredible production value in the film. Plus, I found the acting really good. And let me tell you, I was reading some of those reviews that gave them a bad review, and I was infuriated. Like, um, somebody referred to the character Millie, who is the stripper that uh, Jimmy and Eli meet in on their travels, on their road trip. Someone called her the whore with a heart of gold. And I'm like, she's a stripper. First of all, don't call any sex worker any a whore. Sex worker. <laughs> any sex worker a whore. And she's a stripper. And, you know, it's a lot of the um, reviews were nitpicking about like, oh, the strippers, the, those are the, you know, those strippers were wearing the most clothes I've ever seen in my life. Um they were saying that the film had really no, it, it didn't have, like, it couldn't pick a genre. And I'm like, why does it have to, right? It doesn't. Yeah. Um, there's so many films that are hybrid blends. So what makes this any different? And then one review, they said, oh, it's a it's a black kid with a gun and it's a dangerous movie. Oh, God. Um, well, there's context. And I, I my note on that is that if that's all they're seeing, then they can't see black people as three-dimensional characters and i feel like also people are uncomfortable with the fact that the two black people in the film are non-threatening right yeah because you have eli who's a good boy and zoe kravitz as as the stripper who you know she's street smart she's not a jerk she's not like throwing herself at men or whatever she's just doing this for money until she moves on to the next thing you know they're non-threatening so i feel like there's an unconscious bias there that people are using to review this film absolutely it's so just my one of my because zoe because zoe kravitz just making money i'm just like okay she's just working and making money like i'm not seeing her as millie the sex worker or millie the stripper i'm just like this is millie trying to like you know survive like i'm not yeah i literally the two times I watched it, I'm not looking through this lens of, yeah, um, demoralizing her or seeing her as this uh, uh, soiled woman. I don't know what, what terms you would use, but I'm just seeing her as a regular person and who's a, who's a part of this film who, again, this is if this is a coming-of-age story, this is a kid who sees a girl who he thinks is pretty and just wants to help mm-hmm. her and just wants to, you know, that's why he gives her that whole big... Uh, big pile of money he was just like oh here you have this because i'm supposed to give you money right but also here i yeah. feel like you probably could use this or need this more than me hopefully you can do what you need to do that's necessary in order to you know um make the improvements on on, on your life that you want to make it might she might not want she might enjoy her job or i don't know i just i yeah I, you're right because i don't have that bias i just I didn't see even when I watch any movie with sex workers, I don't make those kind of implicit biases. And, you know, um, and when I think about uh, Eli with the gun, I, first of all, it looks, it does, it looks like a toy. Like I'm surprised that like one of the comments wasn't like from one of the antagonists in the film was just like, Oh, like 
taking not taking him seriously because what he has in his hand looks like something that could not even be dangerous because it looks like something you would buy at Target for your kid for Christmas. <laughs> you know, it looks like a looks like a video game thingy. Um, I said thingy. <laughs> I'm I'm going to piggyback on that whole thing that you said about, you know, Millie just doing her job. That scene where they go into the strip club, that speaks volumes. First of all, Jimmy, who is basically an eternal screw up. So you have Hal and you have Jimmy and Eli and Hal, you know, he's lost his wife, his partner. He's trying to raise Eli so he doesn't turn out like um, Jimmy, right? Jimmy comes back. And Hal is, or Harold is very worried that Eli is going to be influenced by Jimmy. And then, you know, that tragedy happens. And then Jimmy takes Eli on the, on the road trip and stopping, first of all, at a strip club (laughs) with a 14 year old boy, you know, you think Jimmy's so misguided and so he, his morals are just completely all over the place he might think hey let's just stop and i'll take this kid and he can see his first strippers or whatever they go in and to me it's just like those girls are just kind of like whatever it's like a wednesday night it's a boring night they're just doing their job they're just kind of like you know half-heartedly dancing and then when they see this guy come in with the 14 year old kid they're like oh it's kind of like if someone comes into a store you're working at and they bring like, you know, uh, something cool or they're wearing a cool pair of shoes or like, you know, they bring in like a cute baby and you're like, oh, it's just something to distract you during your doldrum job. So that's what I kind of felt like in that scene where they're like, and then, you know, Millie is basically saying like, why are you bringing this kid into the strip club (laughs) she's judging him even though that's where she works so there's so much context there's so much nuance within that particular scene that I just I don't know why these critics can't really see past what's being presented there's obviously with the acting as well there's there's subtleties there that shows that Millie isn't you know like she's not on drugs or anything like she's not this sob story that the stereotypical sob story of a sex worker so i don't know am i making sense (laughs) yes i i think most of the time i don't know maybe this is a personal issue i have but for the most part i think we really need to as a collective and as myself and what i try to do i know it's difficult sometimes because sometimes this is a job a person had actually has but taking the time when you're reviewing a film like first of all watching it more than once if you can is best but also kind of sitting with it and thinking about it like pay attention to the characters and situations yeah why is it so easy for us to see that you know what i'm saying (laughs) right i like the comment that millie makes about you know to, to eli about jimmy i'm like yeah he doesn't I mean, he's older than you, but he doesn't act any more older than you are right now. So I think that's a part of it, too. It's just like he doesn't he doesn't know anything about raising a child or what's appropriate or what's not appropriate because he's doesn't he doesn't have any boundaries himself. So he doesn't I don't think he has any kind of lines he's walking by. I think he's just, you know, 
in that kind of selfish phase of a period of his life. And he's kind of like running from it, literally running from his problems. And he didn't face them or confront them. He was one of those kind of like, one of those sneaky kind of petty criminals who just thinks he can just get away with everything without it catching up to him. And J- J- James Franco and his crew, would, I forget his character's name, was that was all him. And then also when they get involved in that robbery, I'm just like, you're making more problems for yourself and nothing good is going to come out of this. And so, and also not telling Eli what happened to how, like all of this, just being, just all, all of that immaturity that I'm sure a lot of people everyone has one of those in their family, like one of those kind of situations. I feel like what's, what was going on with, um, with, with Jimmy and even the strip club was like the first thing. I, was it a strip? Yeah, I guess. It was. I Cause that's the thing about that. I'm like, was it a strip club or was it just a bar with, with girls who dance? Like, cause I, I feel like there's a distinction between a strip club and then right. a bar where you have girls scantily dressed and they are dancing on a stage. I feel like there's a difference. Like, like uh, go go girls is what I've been heard, what is a term as an old school term. Yeah, I feel like that's what they were too. Because the bar had like I think there was a neon sign that says "girls, girls, girls," but it didn't say like "gentleman, gentleman strip club" or whatever. So it could have been a go go bar. I mean, they still have stuff like that out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I like how they're gentlemen's club, but are are, are these men are these men gentle? I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> But what you bring up too is like it was in my notes as well. Like, you know, Jimmy is like an aimless teenager, but he's the adult here. And it's pretty evident that he's just spiraling. Um, just spiraling with his behaviors. Like it seems like as soon as he's outside of a structure, like outside of jail, he's he's just let loose again, you know? And he really has no there's no rudder to him there's no his morals are completely skewed so yeah and poor Eli is I feel like he's you know his brothers gotten out of jail feel like they didn't really get to know each other and now's his chance and you know when spoiler alert coming up but that whole robbery where basically Jimmy has to pay Taylor, the James Franco um, character, um, some protection money and ends up being $60,000. So obviously Jimmy doesn't have that. So he asks his father for it. And of course, Hal's like, no. So Jimmy wants to rip off Hal's um, safe at the, at work at the construction site. And then it's a botched robbery and Harold gets, or Hal gets killed. And then he, ta- uh, Jimmy takes Eli on a road trip. And I feel like Eli goes along with it because he wants to get to know his older brother. He wants to make that connection because, again, going back to his kind of outsider status, he wants to, he wants to kind of not impress his brother, but just connect with his brother. Because also... Um, their father seems disconnected. Like the whole family seems seems disconnected after the mother's death. So I feel that maybe Eli is just putting out the feelers and he's like, okay, I'll go on this road trip with my older brother because he thinks his dad's okay with it, but his dad's dead. (laughs) So yeah, I feel like it's just this whole thing where Eli's blindly trusting this, uh, you know, aimless adult. And it's like that whole dynamic there, you know, even 
when Eli tests out the gun, the ray gun. And instead of Jimmy saying, wow, that's really dangerous, they're like, whoa, let's blow up some bales of hay, you know? Like, it just shows how completely clueless Jimmy is. Uh, Jimmy is acting, I'm sorry, he's reacting and not, like, thinking about the consequences of his actions. He's just, you know, again, in that kind of space. Um, I just find it interesting because... It's been my experience to kind of be observant to them because I have two younger brothers and they're close enough in age, but um, on the on the outside, on the surface, they're very different people. I think more internally, they're more alike than people would probably imagine them to be because I watched them grow up. And it's funny because just thinking about wanting that bond um, or having that bond, you know, at, at any point in life is, I think is it can can be really important. Um, you know, it's funny. I remember my youngest brother did spend spend, spend time in jail. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, and for, for, he was there for quite a while too. Um, nonviolent crime. Um, but I remember he was there and when he had came, like he had came home and it was just, it was funny. It was just, cause again, his person, he has a fantastic personality at, at, at his very best. And, when you know so you know, we're saying hi to him how you doing and stuff and then when my my middle brother came in the house you know it was funny because it was just like you know my brother goes for those who don't know so my for those who probably know where this comes from but this pop culture reference my bro- my youngest brother he goes we're brothers we're happy and we're singing and we're colored <laughs> and i just cracked up laughing and then i remember my middle brother just like you know saying welcome home and then they just like hugged each other with this ferocity again worlds apart personality wise on the surface but inside they still have that connection they're still you know even though they are different people there's they still long to make sure that they have the bond that they have, whatever that is. And I will never know the, 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 the depths or the brevity of that because I'm, I'm their sister. I'm not their, I'm not their brother, but you know, to even see the glimpses of like, no matter what you're still, you're still my brother and I still love you and kind of seeing that. And I think that's what I saw in Ken as well. Even when Eli was so mad at him and he was just like, I just give up on you. But when Jimmy was in trouble, Eli was right there with that gun trying to regulate. Watching it again, I was I noticed that even more. And I'm just like, yeah, that tracks. I've seen that myself. Not in these, not in, of course, not in a sci-fi circumstance, but I've seen it just in these little glimpses. Yeah, absolutely. Like there is that bond there where, you know, they they're looking out for each other. I mean, even Jimmy could have just left, you know, he could have left Eli, but there is that bond, like that big brother bond, that love for Eli, and he's not going to leave his little brother there, you know? So I think, yeah, I think that there is, there is a bit of merit to, to Jimmy actually want caring about Eli. And, and let me ask you what you thought of the, the villain Taylor played by James Franco. Oh, Pretty, uh, pretty much uh, on the nose archetype. I forget there was some issue with James Franco himself or something. I don't know much about this dude. Um, oh. I know of him, but I yeah, you 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 told me back before there was something with him and there was an issue with him being in this movie because of what he did or I don't know. I forget. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, he was um accused of sexual misconduct. Um, I think he has a or had an acting school. And um, I think he was inappropriate. I'm not 
quite sure. And then I think he was on a film set and he did some more questionable things. And so there are several women that came forward. And actually, just as an aside, I think that may have affected... I don't know. I'm kind of speculating, but maybe that affected the film's release as well. And it's funny because all those reviews that gave this film a bad review, they said nothing about James Franco and his misconduct. And I have in my notes here, that came out, that news came out in January 2018, and the film came out August of 2018. So there was ample time for people to find out about James Franco, to mention it, right? But they don't. Yes. So if they're going to nitpick about something, I would think that that's kind of the bigger issue. But yeah, his his uh, character was pretty on the nose um, in terms of being obnoxious and vicious and someone who is a sociopath, I guess. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. You saying James Franco had an acting school sounds sketchy enough. <laughs> like, I'm just like... <laughs> I hate to say it, but... This sounds like something they would make up on The Simpsons, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just... Yeah, he seemed like... Yeah, I mean, he played a really good villain. I struggle with, you know, what he's accused of doing, I don't think takes away from how good the movie is. And honestly, how good he's actually in it. Um, I, I know I know those are really murky warriors, but, you know, if you're still listening to R. Kelly's music, Go throw yourself into another galaxy because just know, yeah, on every level. So I, I so I get it. It's but oh man, this is this is a hard conversation. And yeah. I don't know if I'm the, I'm not, I'm not the. I would never be the moderator of a conversation like this because no. there's so many. It's so complicated. It really is, and I think um you know that's the thing. Like you know you have these these this you know this is their first feature film this uh directing duo the brothers and um actually you know just popping into my head like they're twin brothers so talk about having a connection and then filming a a, a story about brothers like if anybody is gonna build nuance <laughs> you know it would be those two um that's just an aside but you know you put together this this feature film and you know james franco has this kind of art house you know cool to him so to get him in your film is kind of cool and apparently they were saying like he they really they were kind of surprised that they got him and they didn't really say much in in regards to him so i'm maybe guessing that they did know obviously after the film was out they just kept it very neutral when they talked about him um and they just said he did a great job playing the um the villain but can you imagine you got your first film out and then this stuff happens with franco and then you're like oh god it's like you know what else can happen <laughs> so i think yeah. i think that it did probably put a little bit of a, a cloud over this film in general but i wouldn't I would say ignore Franco because he's not really a huge, huge part of the film. I think it's more Eli's story and Eli's coming of age and finding out who he is, you know? I guess you have to keep things neutral if the person hasn't been convicted, if the person doesn't. I don't, that's the thing about it. Is anyone really like um, contrite? Like about like situations like even if you're caught if you're being accused of something um you know I just people just don't 
want to take accountability for their actions sometimes. No. And I don't know if that's the case. So if there's no ver- verifiable proof necessarily that someone has done something um, like this, like, I-, I guess the best thing to do is to just be ne- neutral yeah. about it, especially if it's not, if it doesn't come up in conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. He just seems kind of, I wouldn't throw, you know, trust him as far as I could throw him to be honest, but I mean, and, you know, he's had this, like I said, an art house cool. He's been in comedies and whatever. So, you know, I guess we'll just leave it at that. It's just, it's unfortunate that this came out and his behavior affected, might have affected this film. That's the, yeah, I think that's the important point about all of this for sure. And yeah, I, yeah, that, that, that's, that's pretty, that's a bummer when those kinds of things happen. But I, again, I think, you know, I, I, for you, I think, you know, you and other people who do appreciate this film and who do focus on Afrofuturism, it's really important to kind of just amplify what works, what works about this film. That's just kind, it's kind of just a shadow or a kind of a gray cloud over it, mm-hmm. but I don't think it takes away from the entirety of the work that, uh, or the product that it is yeah. and the story that it is. Yeah. I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at, you know, um, I always bring up Polanski, you know, Rosemary's Baby is like one of my favorite films, but Polanski's a creep and, you know, that's a whole other can of worms. But, you know, it's that under that umbrella of people who create that are problematic. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to get into it, but I've had this kind it what what I would encourage other people because I do it myself is I've had a conversation with a friend once and she said you know we wouldn't listen to any music knowing or having any idea what these musicians and artists do when they're not producing films or they're not performing or they're not in public it's just and it's I think it's the same thing I think it's just for the entertainment business writ large mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of skeletons you know, in the closet lots yeah I mean so so much that we will never probably know ever so it's just like you gotta i don't know yeah. this is this is a hard topic to kind of to, to navigate because yeah just and if and i feel like the same thing same thing would go for films if we knew who many of these people were in front and behind the camera no one would watch movies yeah. if we're taking that stance it's very true yeah i don't know Yes, I just said don't listen to R. Kelly's music, but that's only again my my implicit bias is I've never liked R. Kelly's music. So I always, I always, even when I was of the age of the kind of girls that he liked, I was just like this guy. This feels creepy. Yeah. Like I just, I, I, like, and that's not, the, and I'm not a never approved. It's not about music with sex in it, but something about his music where it was just all sex, and I was just like, dude, like, come on, this is this all this. This is you. This is you. This is all what you're about. Yep. And it just, it just, it just felt scuzzy. Like I just, like my gut was just like something ain't right about him. Like yeah. just something ain't right about this music. So I just never really liked it. I, I, so I'm sorry. I'm just I'm getting on my soapbox. But I remember, <laughs> I had a music class in middle school, and somebody brought that stupid bump and grind remix because like our teacher would let us like play like if we brought in a song from like a cd or a tape that we had and like you'd play it and like kind of like and you're listening for lyrics and keywords and things like that it was kind of like an exercise that we do every every day before class started and like some like just brought that stupid 
hate that song so like i remember sitting there with my arms folded and i'm just like i cannot believe we listen to this nasty stuff in, in, in school yeah. and then it was at the, at the at the point where my teacher looked up and she was just like what are y'all what are we listening to like she even had a reaction so all i'm saying is the entertainment business we i mean this is not this shouldn't be a surprise to any of us yeah. you know People can be people can be scum, and does that take away your enjoyment of a product? That's that's for you to decide. I can't yeah. take on that for exactly. you. Exactly. Yep, I totally agree. Oh, this is a good segue. Speaking of music, the scoring for this film was done by the band uh, Mogwai. Yeah, I noticed. Oh my god, I love. Actually, uh, looked it up. You can get vinyl or um, a CD of the music so which i think i will partake in i'll put the link in our show notes but i love the scoring it was so well done and they actually fun fact this band did the um scoring for that show i think it was called the returned it was a remake of a french a french film then they did a french series and then they did an english series about people who just came back to life and there it was kind of like um an art undead film let's just say not exactly a zombie film but it was about the undead Mm -hmm. and it's brilliant and um mogwai did the uh scoring for that i believe they did it for the french version anyway i like that band because i like electronic music so just a shout out to them yeah i did want to so i wanted to bring back the other comment about this being a coming of age movie i think what i like about it again i like when, especially of course in films and television, when you're just telling the story visually, like it's up, I think the audience, we do all the talking and the kind of like, sometimes we can do the exposition by just by what the visuals are telling us. And I think this kind of works in Ken as well, because it's like he is, Eli is in a way searching for who he is, but he doesn't know he's doing that just yet. And I think, honestly, I think as adults, when we look back in retrospect, we can understand certain moments and points in our life where we were kind of searching for who we are, but we didn't really know it. And then I think, and sometimes we learn that by the reactions of others and by the experiences we have with other people, if that makes sense. So just kind of embracing who you are because of someone's opposition of it and I don't know I feel like that kind of plays out in Ken possibly maybe but that's kind of how I felt about it like there's there was no need to, for him to say I gotta find who I am there's none of that like it was just it, none of those dramatics it was um it wasn't melodramatic and I really appreciated the film for doing that <laughs> yeah I feel like um just some of uh, my notes uh, just to piggyback off of that because they really worked on the tone and it wasn't like a bombastic sci-fi film. They wanted to like more of like a, a, a human story without the overkill, you know? So I think that, yeah, you know, Eli's not like, I don't, you know, I don't know who I am. I He just kind of a matter of factly talks about his kind of origin story when they're in the motel and he's talking to Millie and she asks him about his scar on his hand. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I was, I think, you know, um, it was I was two months old when I was adopted or something. Like, he had his little origin story. 
and Millie was like, yeah, you know, you got to be proud of the scars you, you carry. And she had like cigarette burns from being abused. And, you know, she kind of teaches him to like, just be proud of who he is. And I thought, I thought that was really, it was like a really touching moment. And, and part of what you're, you're saying is that, you know, he's not like, I need to figure out who I am. He kind of has little pieces and I feel like he's working his way towards who he is. Exactly. Oh, and, um, you know, just to talk about the performances, I could not get over the actor, uh, Miles, who plays Eli, his eyes I kept thinking like he's like a Disney character. His eyes were so large and expressive and so sad. Like he was just such a a cute teenage boy and he really I think this was one of his first roles and he really embraced just being a teenage boy and like playing with this gun that looks like it came out of a a video game and you know, wanting to please his father and he's a good kid and like he really embraced that. And I really love Zoe Kravitz. I can't like I love her. And it was a crime that they got rid of um oh what was her series? High, high Fidelity. Yeah, high Fidelity. It's a crime they got rid of High Fidelity because I love that series. But she is kind of like this cool like FKA twigs type d- dancer and She's just like cool, and her performance was seemed like so effortless, you know. Yeah, how I always, uh, I do the silly thing where I'm trying to like. I was looking at, uh, I forget the character, I forget the actor's name. You said it. My apologies, but like, um, Eli, I feel like, yeah, he he has a familiar face to me. I feel like I've seen him in other things, but like, I always, my default is always, have I seen him on SVU? Like, that's always the default for everyone. I noticed, but, um. As far as Zoe Kravitz, I think she's fine. Um, I trying to think if there's anything I particularly liked her in. Like I never got a chance to watch High Fidelity, but yeah, I think she was fine in this film. Don't have don't have anything bad to say about her, but don't have anything great to say either. Yeah. Just kind of just like I'm kind of in the middle with her, um, neutrally. Uh, well, I don't know. They just, I mean, again, going back to the critics, they panned it left, right, and center. So. I would say ignore the critics and just, you know, watch this film. It's fun. It's it's really heartfelt. And yeah, it's just a, you know, there's a, a young black teenage boy who's a kind of like a superhero origins film, which unfortunately, I don't think they will continue the story. I mean, it's left open-ended. And sadly, I don't think they're going to continue it. I wish they would. But I mean, it's like that show, The Passage. Is it the passage with that young black girl? Yeah. yeah, I love that show, and they canceled that. So, what are you gonna do, right? But anyway, I'd say just give that sh- go give Ken a, a shot. Yeah, I don't think it needs a sequel, but um, I do. I like the story. I I guess sometimes it sometimes that works for me. Um, I th- well, no, all the time, honestly. Um, I don't think everything needs a story. Nothing needs over explanation. We get the gist of what's going on at the end and I, and I but I do like that that's a that's a very good twist mm-hmm. it's seamless well it's funny because um again with the commentary the directors admitted that there was an exposition dump at the end <laughs> they said well we had they had pages and pages of dialogue and they're like okay how are we gonna kind of whittle this down to kind of get to the 
the whole crux of, of who Eli is. And I just thought that was really cool when, not to spoil it too much, but when he clasps hand with uh, Michael B. Jordan and then that that line that Michael B. Jordan says to him and I'm like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, I think as you were saying, like it didn't need that much. I didn't think it was a huge exposition dump to me, but then I guess no. they're seeing it. it wasn't at yeah. all. But I guess they're seeing it from the side of they've been writing and they're like, you know, crossing out everything with a red pen and they're trying to revamp it. So I guess for them it was. I don't have anything else to add to this conversation that hasn't been said already. I think just a one fl- one kind of fly away kind of uh, note or question that I had is James Franco's character's name is Taylor, correct? Yes. Taylor used the word colored. Yes. He called Eli a colored boy. I was just like, are we, I, I mean, what? Do y'all say colored in Detroit? Is that is that what's going on? <laughs> like ca- casually at times, maybe, possibly. You know, I noticed that too. And I feel like that's his part of his character to use an obnoxious term like that. I don't know. I don't know if I'm reading into it, but I feel like his character, I mean, look, he's got a mullet. He's wearing like an 80s, sweater with gold chains and like he's just vile so i i'm it wasn't surprising that he used that term but um also yeah i don't know if that was an ad lib not sure they never said anything yeah you hit it right on the nose i think he was i think his character was just being obnoxious Mm -hmm. and looking to kind of rattle rattle jimmy's cage probably or just just you know and make the intensify the tension of the scene already to just make it even more hostile because i because i'm certain he knew that colored was wild and appropriate um it's not the most offensive term but i think it's the way when it's the in context when people use these things Mm -hmm. like um as a as a black person as a black american person i love calling myself a negro or negress like but that's something that i can do because i understand the history behind it and i'm also a black person who if this was 50, 60 years ago, I would have been called a Negro woman. So, and we play around with these kind of, I play around sometimes with these kind of terms now, for better or worse, I find it, sometimes I find the humor in it, you know, um, so that, but that's just me. You read my mind. This is why I'm like, I don't know. I feel like we have a mind meld sometimes, Ashley, because I, as you were saying how you love being called Negro or Negress or calling yourself that, my grandmother used to use the term Negro. <laughs> she, oh my God. I do, but I, we were discussing this earlier, but just the whole West Indian thing. And of course my grandmother was, I don't know, around in the twenties or whatever in, in Trinidad. And so they had like these different distinctions because everybody is so mixed in the West Indies. So she would call a girl, maybe oh that creole girl which means like she's mixed with i don't even know what that would entail um did she be like oh that that negro fellow um or she would actually use the term colored sometimes too but that was because of the time she grew up in and like that that was her that was the era in which you use these terms so it's so funny that you said that because i was just thinking of my grandmother saying oh that negro negro man the young negro man and i'm like oh that's you know but i don't have a problem that that word is to me it's a historical word negro and i feel like 
I don't know. I feel like there's a sense of pride to that word. I don't know, maybe. But mm -hmm. for, for me, I just feel like there's a sense of pride in that word. Possibly. Yeah. I know Creole, it's, it says, usually commonly a Caribbean person that has French, Spanish, Portuguese, British, and or Dutch ancestry. Yeah. Or it can be mixed with sub-Saharan African and sometimes mix, mixed with native indigenous people of, Amer of the Americas. So that seems like a that's the amalgam when you consider when if you if and when you can consider creole my great grandmother apparently used the word colored like uh when my mother or my uncle like you know if if there was like let's let's watch this tv show honey there's a nice colored woman on it you gotta you know so she that's what her but she was my great 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 grandmother so i think she was probably born in the 1920s um so yeah i mean people use the terms of the times Never, never, quote unquote, the N word, though, obviously, um, to, to refer to themselves as is always trying to find something different. I think uh, my generation, maybe even your generation started to mix that up. But yeah, you know. no. Um, yeah, I just the whole terminology thing, uh, as we go through the decades and the ages, <laughs> it just it really is. Uh, it's kind of fascinating to kind of follow that you know and what's appropriate now as opposed to you know and it depends on who's saying it like again if my my grandmother who was I don't know at the time 100 or whatever she used the word colored you just like she's 100 years old whereas if James James Franco his character uses the word colored you know that there is a a tone and there's a um, intention behind yes. it right so yeah, right. So that's all I got for Ken. Is there anything else you want to say to kind of wrap this up to put a mm. bow on it? No, um, I would just say, yeah, just give it a shot, you know, and don't read those reviews because I think that they are completely misinformed. So, yeah. Absolutely. If you are a sci-fi fan, I definitely check this one out. This one was cool. So, Carolyn, where can everyone find you on Twitter? Um, at VFD Pixie and Ashley, how about you? At Ashley Takes Note. And next time, I have no idea what we're talking about next time. So just be excited, anticipate what's coming up next. Uh, December is going to be a fun one. It's my birthday month. So I'm going to try to pick a really fun movie to kind of dig into. Yay! It's going to be a party oh, all goodness. month. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, uh, I guess we'll uh, talk to you our wonderful listeners next time until then mm -hmm.